and welcome to the Women in ERP podcast. I'm your host, Abigail Allman. I'm the founder of the Women in ERP platform. I'm joined today by my co-host, Stephanie Paul. Stephanie is the sales manager for ERP vendor IFS and a huge advocate for women in ERP. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, how is everyone? Very, very good. And we're joined today by an absolute trailblazer of a woman in Anwin Robinson. Anwin is the General Manager and Senior Vice President for Info. Uh, hi, Anwin. Great to have you with us. How are you both? We're good. We're good. Very good. So we're going to grill you a bit today, Anwin. Um, <laughs> so Bring it on. Firstly, I guess, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you um, to become a part of the ERP sector and this industry? <laughs> well, it's it's a fairly convoluted story, so bear with me on that. So, so my background, I'm actually from the uh, South Wales Valleys. I was actually born in the Rhondda, Rhondavach, what's down in the Rhondavach, and uh, a much-loved daughter. Uh, I've got two elder brothers, and my parents told me that they they kept trying till they had a daughter, and never ceased to sort of uh, stop reminding me that they, my brothers were no trouble at all, and why did they persist? <laughs> and that sort of set the tone for my life, in actual fact, uh, going forward from there. Um, so I grew up in the valleys itself. Um School was always interesting. I was always a, a, a bit of a troublemaker, I'd say, but only from the point of view of uh, constantly challenging and being told, you know, just learn something for the sake of learning something never sat well with me. All right. So things like math, being told Pythagoras' theorem. So when you ask, well, when on earth am I ever going to be using Pythagoras' theorem? Just to be told, just learn it by road, turned off completely. So Consequently, I left school at 16. All right. I at that time I just wanted to earn money. I didn't know particularly what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to earn money. I managed to gain a job with a county council, actually working on the drawing board as a tracer. So this is back before the days of CAD. <laughs> this was physically taking tracing paper and drawing, and so that you could actually reproduce wow. the drawings that other other people had made. And I was actually working as part of the architects department in the heating and ventilating department. Really, really glamorous. And um, so it was me and a load of chaps that were there at sixteen. It was quite an eye opener coming down from the valleys to work in Cardiff. Um, but I quickly got quite interested in in the work. Um, needed to, to actually do things like heat loss calculations, you know, calculating the size of radiators and all this. Actually, it was quite interesting. But then quickly realized that I could never get the benefits of or, or even sort of promotion as a result of it, even though I was now doing the work because I didn't have the relevant qualifications. So all of a sudden, education, education became a lot more meaningful. So I went back to day release and uh, the only course that was relevant to what I was doing was actually engineering. So I took a, a day release, a ordinary national certificate in engineering, because that had the uh, drawing office experience actually within that. And I quickly loved it. And you always remember that teacher that brings things alive for you. And I was lucky to have one of those in the Rhonda College of Further Education. Um, and this is a chap, when you asked why, why, why is Pythagoras? Not only did he explain it, but he gives you three or four practical examples. And that's how I learn, all right? They bring it to life and everything else. So as a consequence, I excelled, all right? Everything suddenly sort of uh, came home. Everything was meaningful. And I did, I did rather well. And as a result of that, I came out with sort of distinctions. And somebody said to me in passing, are you aware that's equivalent to A-levels? Um, no, I wasn't. 
So I went to work that day, the day I had my results, and I phoned Cardiff University. And I said, I've just had my results, and I'm told it's equivalent to, to A-levels. And um, they said, come up in your lunch hour. We'll, we'll have a chat in terms of things. So I, I popped up to see them. They were quite intrigued that I was a female. This is a long time ago, by the way, uh, with, a, with a, a bent for engineering. So I, I met with the head of engineering, and they made me an offer there and then. So by the time I went home, uh, to the Ronda that evening, I told my parents that I'd signed up to do a five-year degree course, honours degree course in mechanical engineering. So I, I undertook a five-year degree course, which, which actually meant I had um, 18 months in industry as well, uh, because I didn't want to just have the theory, I wanted the practical experience. Um, and a key part of the course was not just obviously everything to do with engineering, but computer science was in the early days. And I, I am extremely old, because part of the course was actually using punch cards. We were still using slide rules uh, as opposed to calculators. <laughs> and punch cards, right, to actually punch the code in and then you fed it through. And I can always remember the day having um, doing a particularly big project and typing out these punch cards and I dropped them. <laughs> disaster, disaster. Anyway. <laughs> So I, I completed I completed the five year uh, degree course and I came up with a a two one honors degree in mechanical engineering and it's right what what am I actually going to be doing what what am I going to use in this for now yeah. and I did explore actually going into the armed forces but they 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 didn't know what to do with me a female with a mechanical engineering degree you know there's there, no there was no no rules that they could fit me into um. But I actually then decided to do a course in um, that enabled me to become a lecturer. All right, so I did a postgrad uh, certificate in in further education, in actual fact. And my next seven years, I, I actually became a teacher. So I didn't go into lecture; I actually went into a secondary school now, and um, to teach maths and computer science. See, we're getting there. We're getting there. Maths and computer science. And um, which was at very early days, again, in sort of education as well. But in my mind, I had left school at 16 without A-levels. I'm now teaching uh, A-level maths and I'm teaching sort of A-level sort of computer and science and everything else. And it was always, you know, having to keep sort of a few steps ahead, ahead of the curve going through this. But it was it was brilliant. And I got to admit, I loved, loved teaching. And that actually, one of, one of the lessons to learn from that, it, it set me up for life because uh, it's all about prepare, prepare, prepare. Make sure you have, you know, very, very uh, strong preparation. Uh, make sure you can deliver a compelling lesson to sometimes an audience that's not uh, very willing to receive things. Make sure they understand the message that you're actually giving, and uh, you know, checking that they can actually deliver it back to you at the end of the day. And actually, fact, that set me up for life. So every job I've done, I've just applied the same principles. I can imagine it's like having a little team, isn't it? <laughs> So I taught for seven, seven, eight years in actual fact, but um, this is when I hit a low point in my in my life in actual fact. And um, I'd got married during this time. My marriage had broken up and it was a pretty low point in my life. So I, I needed to earn more money. I needed to, I'm a single person now, I needed to go out there, get a mortgage by myself and everything else. And the further up you go in teaching, the further away you get from the teaching as well. It became very administrative. So I decided in actual fact, this was the time for me to leave. And it was, it was a, a company based in Cardiff, in actual fact, who were looking for somebody with a background in engineering, a background in computing, 
Um, a prosen salesperson, and I thought, well, anybody can sell, obviously. <laughs> and they were looking, but they were developing a, a software product to sell to consulting engineers, so a project costing and billing solution. So I actually joined them and uh, worked with them to actually help, you know, help him with the actual sort of the development. And then was the first person to go out there and sell the solution to consultant engineers. Stayed with them for nine years, and uh, we became the, the leading provider of uh, project costing and billing solutions to consultant engineers in the UK. So it, it was sort of a, that was sort of brought me into it. Um, so I'm still not in ERP yet. I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> but this is my introduction now into sort of selling software, software solutions. And interestingly, I was there for nine years. And... During that time, there was a female managing director was appointed, um, needed to have a new sales director. I put myself forward for that. And interestingly, I was told, no, being a female managing director, she needed to have a male sales director. Wow. Can you imagine that in this day and age? <laughs> with everything there? Um, but she assumed I would just sit back and accept that. And I was not prepared to accept that. So I resigned. I resigned on the spot. Didn't have a job to go to, but I was quite confident in terms of where I was. And um, that then took me on. And I actually then moved into business analytics in actual fact. So I actually worked for Cognos. And that gave me international experience. And I, I went on to, to work for Hyperion. Again, sort of international experience. And then I came back and um, joined a company based in Bristol called Aggresso, Aggresso Software. Now, you might not be familiar with Aggresso. So this is a, a company that was founded in Scandinavia, originally in Norway. Um, joined them as a salesperson. Uh, they were then acquired by Unit 4 Business Software in around about 2000. And um, that became the journey, my next journey that I actually went on. And this now takes you into sort of the ERP world, the true sort of ERP world from there. So I was with uh, Unit 4, Aggresso Unit 4 Business Software. Uh, they were acquired by uh, Unit 4 for 18 and a half years in actual fact. So I started as a salesperson and um, and I finished up uh, during that time, uh, managing director, and then moved on to a corporate sort of a role, setting up the global partner ecosystem. So that gave me my, my full sort of remit of the career right the way through that. And uh, since then, I've just been, um, yeah, moving on to interesting roles from there. Brilliant. I'm just like, wow, you've shoehorned your way in <laughs> and then you've stuck with it for so long um, and just got yourself yeah, but but there's lots of compromises you make along the way, all right? There's lots of decisions. There's one door closes and you have to sort of be brave and push push open sort of the next doors to take it forward from there. Um, so it's been challenging. It hasn't all been sort of roses along the way. There have been compromises. There have been mistakes that have been made. Um, but I'm a great believer that you, you should be kind to yourself. If you make mistakes, learn from those mistakes, all right? But be kind to yourself. Don't, don't beat yourself up. Learn from it. Move on and uh, just make sure that you don't repeat those mistakes in the future. Such good advice. Such good advice. Do you think as a woman, um, you found your path to the top particularly challenging? You mentioned you, that previous role where she hired a, a male over you. Has being a woman hindered you at all or has it, you found it an advantage? 
Oh, it's always an advantage. I think I, th- I think we we've definitely got assets. <laughs> I think we can empathize. Uh, not that you <laughs> the right assets I'm talking about here now. Um, <laughs> that 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 we can apply. And one thing I think we we are great at. I don't take myself seriously. I take my roles very very seriously. All right. I don't, but I I'm a great believer in the power of humor. I'm a great believer in the power of empathy. That people should remain humble. Remain humble, but be true, be authentic. And I sometimes feel that um, when women in particular, I think, are appointed, sort of, it, it, they feel they have to then take on the persona of a male. Yeah. And yeah. actually, I'd say early on, I probably did did make those types of mistakes and I realized, actually, you don't need to do that. Just be yourself, be humble. And uh, if you're the right person for the job with the right skills and you've been appointed to do the job, quieten that little voice in your head that says, Am I am I good enough? You know the imposter syndrome. I I see that with so many times that uh, sometimes women are held back because of that little voice. If you've been appointed and you've gone through a competitive interviewing process and you've been selected, you are good enough. All right. It might be that you don't know it all. Be authentic. Be humble. You can say I actually don't know it all, but I'm prepared to learn. And uh, let's come back and actually take it forward. You know. The other thing I, I learned very early on is to surround yourself with the best people. Know, know your weaknesses, know your strengths, and surround yourself with the people that are complementary. Build, build a strong team, all right? And there are different players within that team. Uh, you don't need to have everybody that, you know, is just like you. There are so many comp- complementary skill sets, and you find if you if you – you got a team that gels. My God, it flies! All right, you get the innovation, you get the uh, the camaraderie, the fun that starts from actually having that, and the the shared success that comes through that as well. I I found that has stood me in great stead along the way. Yeah, that really resonates. I've kind of I guess touched on having recently moved into more of a leadership role as well. It's very easy to kind of fall into kind of being surrounded by a lot of men, kind of yes. learned behaviour, and and I, I've had to catch myself and go no. Be you because be you. Yeah. you know if you if you're authentic it kind of works you don't have to replicate let's be honest some of the egos and the testosterone you know, it, it doesn't need to happen at all like just yeah. and, and I actually think you get better results when you're just yourself and like you say call out the fact do you know what I actually don't know this but yeah. this person my team does like let's yeah. you know let them shine on it there um, you go absolutely yeah. spot on. and I think if I look at my leadership style now all right when people sort of ask me about that my my role is to make everybody else successful. If I if I can do that, my role is that you know my job is done. Because yeah. if everybody else is succeeding, if, if you've got a clear strategy and you're actually supporting everybody to understand the role that they have to play in delivering that strategy, because everybody needs to have clarity. I don't believe anybody comes to work. Uh, you know, everybody wants to do a good job at the end of the day, and that comes from making sure that they have a real understanding and clarity of what that role and how how they can achieve it, and then support them to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so if I can achieve that, then I can go off into the sunset, and my job is done. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we're we're all um, familiar with the stats on women sort of leaving the workforce at a certain point. So how have you managed to have a glowing, fantastic career and also raise a family too? You have a daughter, I believe. Yes, I do, yes. How have you managed to do that? Because that's like the ultimate, you know, you haven't dropped out. You sort of got to that point and continued. How do we do that? (laughs) It's challenging. It is absolutely challenging. Um, 
And you do have to make sacrifices along the way. All right. I, I was lucky enough. I had my daughter probably slightly later. So I was in early 30s when I had my, my daughter. So my career was already sort of well underway. Um, so my earning potential was reasonable as well, that I was able to help pay, uh, to pay for support. I couldn't have done it without that support. I couldn't have done it, especially when my marriage broke up as well, you know, and you then become the sort of, you know, the single breadwinner, etc. Um, having that support infrastructure uh, to allow you to do these things, you know, um, you have to make those sacrifices sometimes, and it's very, very unfair. Not everybody can do that, so I do, I do sympathise with it. Funnily enough, funnily enough, I think the pandemic has actually proven that you don't have to conform to the standard nine to five working hours. I think that's proven to absolutely everyone, and uh, I would never want to go back to the old ways of doing things. There's so many benefits from it. But I think that uh, probably women have also benefited hugely from that as well, because you can you can balance the work, the life side of things. Who's to say, you know, if somebody wants to do a, a particular role in the middle of the night, then fine. Providing you've set clear objectives and people know how they're being measured, who cares when the role is actually undertaken, if it's actually achieving what's required? So I think it's... Um, there are lots of ways in which I think we can make it easier, life easier for females in particular in that regard. So do you think hired help generally is sort of, I don't know, we've got some misconceptions about it, about nannies, childcare provision in the UK particularly. In Europe, it's commonplace to have a nanny. Why, why is that over here? Why do we feel bad for accessing childcare. For me personally, I, I feel terrible every time I have to ask for help. Yeah. <laughs> why is that? Why are we, why are we programmed that way? Why do you think? I think, I think that's exactly, you've just used the word, we're programmed that way sometimes, you know, you know what I mean? It, it's the sort of, uh, the norm that's been expected that it all, should also always fall on the, on the female shoulders to bear the burden of all of these things. And I think we need to break, break that down a little bit as well. Um, I think it starts if you've got sons, actually, that stereotyping that it, that certain roles are always sort of the female roles actually starts in the home. And, yeah. and it should then be supported from a you know, the school perspective and right the way through to ensure that we are breaking down these stereotypes as well. But as far as um, nannies, et cetera, and everything else there, if you if you can afford it. And it's it's a, you know the safe. Why not actually be kind to yourself in a lot of cases as well? All right. Yeah. I think I think we want to do it all sometimes, and we can't. We have to be kind to our to ourselves. I'm talking from a female perspective here as well. You know, you can't take on absolutely every single role and not expect it to actually affect your own mental well-being. So I'm a great believer in you know being kind to yourself in as many ways you can, and if you can afford to pay for that help that enables you then potentially to further your career uh, and um, provide sort of better lifestyle and everything else there. Why not? Why not? Totally agree. You agree there, Abigail? Uh, Steph, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You know, if, you, if you've got the, the resources to do it, you know, like you say, programmed or kind of, it's learned behaviour, isn't it? My parent, my mum stayed at home, for instance. So yeah, it's kind exactly. of... Exactly. Exactly what my mother did as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. But you're right. It's kind of educating the new male generation as well as the females to you know I've got two young nieces and I would say you can be what or do whatever you want because even from a really young age they they're almost kind of they see kind of um I don't know it's it is it's interesting but I think you know you break that cycle and 
So, you know, and, and it does. And, it, and I think it's perpetuated as well, sort of in schools and everything. And we, we just can't afford to take our eye off the ball. Um, going back all those years ago when when I, I was the only girl when I did my engineering degree, I was the only girl with 70 chaps. It's crazy, <laughs> isn't wonderful, it? Wonderful. Absolutely. And um, but I don't, I'm not sure the start, it's changed that much over the years, you know, in, ter- in terms of I would just about to say, I wonder what the stat is now, you know, whether it's. Yeah. three or 30 out of that 70 or, no, or maybe and, and, still, I so I, I'm a great believer you know I'm, I'm a sort of uh, wherever I can sort of ambassador to promote sort of STEM STEM subjects and everything else there um you know talking to groups of females to girls etc school not to limit themselves you know I limited myself when I was in school because I can actually remember going for careers advice when I was I think I was 14 or 15 and the careers that I was told that I could actually go for were nursing <laughs> teaching uh banking but you know in terms of the admin side and that was that was basically it that was that were the roles that were sort of uh, considered to be suitable which yeah no wonder I dropped out as soon as I, I, I remember something similar it was that and also hairdressing always came up and it's just like <laughs> it's just that classic stereotypical yeah. female and it's yeah it's it's crazy but, but so again it comes back to um Teaching has a huge responsibility as well. I cannot. I can also remember when I was teaching, and I felt it was very important because of my experience when I went through education. You know, if I was curious and I was, you know, really, I'd probably be extremely annoying because I wanted to learn. To just be told, just learn it, all right? Just learn that formula. It didn't mean anything to me. So when I became a teacher myself, I I felt it incumbent upon me to bring that enthusiasm, to bring to bring things to life. You know, if somebody wanted to know why. I would tell them why and give them examples and everything else there. And but when I was actually teaching, you could see a lot of teachers that had actually turned off. You know, they they hated it, but didn't feel as if they had any other options. I couldn't think of anything worse than you put, you're putting your children into the care of an education system that doesn't, you know, really enthuse them and open their eyes and set them on a journey of just creation and innovation. That's why as well, I'm um, a big advocate of the Prince's Trust. So, so this is something um each company that I've I've run now, the third company I've run, I've actually sort of signed signed that company up to the Prince's Trust because I think they do some fantastic work where you've got youth who have gone through the system like I did, all right, but were not best served or whatever, have come out through it and now want to make something of themselves, but don't know where to go. That's where the trust actually comes in. So uh, it, it's a it's a fantastic organization. So you're now SVP and GM at Impulse. Tell us what your new role entails. <laughs> so I joined in for um, in March of last year. So, so coming in, um, my role was to make sure there was absolute clarity in terms of the the you know what our strategy is, what our focus is, uh, where how we're going to be driving growth um, in for global organisations. So making sure that everything was aligned behind the global strategy, but making sure from a UK and Ireland perspective that um, the key requirements that we needed were, were aligned within that. So bringing that clarity to the strategy was, was, the, was the first step. Um, then sort of making sure that I had the right people doing the right things at the right time. So there was a big reorganization that we've undertaken to, to align behind it. And um, then making sure that obviously I set this, a clear strategy, roll out the objectives, uh, and then 
um, make sure I'm supporting our teams to deliver the strategic goals, which is all about business growth at the end of the day. So it, it's very wide ranging. So for PL responsibility. Um, but I love it. I love using all the, the, the sort of vast experience I've gained from over the years and coming in and just seeing what needs to be applied and uh, just making sure that everybody is heading in the right direction, doing the right things at the right time. And it's, it's very, very exciting. Steph will probably agree as well. It's a great time to be part of this industry. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Many of our listeners dream of reaching the heights that you're at now. So if you could tell us in one sentence how you did it. How would That's you say One sentence now. I've answered anything with one oh, sentence. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How I did, I think you've you've just got to be brave sometimes. And um, if if I look back over over the years, you know, when when you reach the point where you have to make decisions, and sometimes it would have been very easy to sort of think, oh, I'm not going to do that or whatever. Sometimes you've just got to be brave. And even if you 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 don't know something, as we've talked about before, be curious, go out there, find out. Build a strong network, all right? I can't emphasize enough the strength of the network that you build around you. Build strong teams. That will enable you to keep moving forward and constantly be curious. This world is changing at such a phenomenal pace at the moment. Uh, You stand still, you're left behind. Uh, That has always sort of uh, intrigued me, the pace of change. But also, uh, from an ERP point of view, I think it's incumbent upon us now um, to, to make sure that we're delivering real business value. You know, the companies that we are selling into are going through f- phenomenal challenges on a global basis, uh, huge problems, and we've got the potential to assist them resolving the, those solutions. So it's not it's not about selling ERP at the end of the day. It's really understanding what these business challenges are and translating that with using the ta- technology, at, you know, to, to sort of underpin it to deliver the value back to these customers. So it's a it's a very, very rewarding time to be uh, in ERP, to give it, a, give it a title. Yeah, absolutely. We spoke previously about Industry 4.0. Now, do you want to just give a bit of an overview to our listeners as to what that is and how Infor are you know, supporting that, getting involved in that, and, and what that means? Yeah, so so it's uh, industry four dot. So it's it's the digitization in in effect. If you think about that, so the automation using technology to really drive business value, which is what we've actually been talking about. So the use of uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, data analytics, using technology in a way that actually delivers real sort of business value, and it underpins um, virtually all aspects of industry currently. Um, and again, Steph can probably sort of associate very, very well with with, with that as well, especially in man, uh, manufacturing or sort of industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's changing everything. And if you think in terms of the the changes that UK manufacturing has actually gone through, if you, if you go back over, what, 30, 20, 15 years and et cetera, um, when we lost a lot of our manufacturing base in the UK and we became a predominantly service-based uh, industry and government actually set out to do that. All right, it, it was a part of the strategic government plans at, at that particular time. Um, but what subsequently happened? If you think in terms of Brexit and um, what's happening on a global basis with the war in the Ukraine and the challenges that all of this are bringing, especially to manufacturing, it's actually making it far more viable 
to, in a lot of cases, to actually have things manufactured closer to home. All right, so you're not reliant on uh, global supply chains and everything else. So I, I believe we're now starting to see a real resurgence in in British manufacturing, and making sure that uh, we are supporting um, organisations with the right technology that will deliver this business value. Um, coming at you not from the perspective of you know the old ways of doing it, really thinking outside of the box. How you use all aspects of technology to capture the you know the relevant data from um the internet of things the various sensors everything we got these things that, that permeate in all parts of our life and it also applies obviously to manufacturing as well so huge amounts of data that we can actually bring together make sense of and support our customers to keep driving the their businesses forward so you know industry 4.0 is is what's underpinning a lot of this and is this alternatively known as the a fourth industrial revolution that's what people are calling it well i i support i absolutely yes in in that regard i'm just trying to think what what the other three were goes <laughs> <laughs> back to like the mills doesn't it right like remember something at school <laughs> So how can our listeners and and we as people support our UK manufacturing industry? How can we help to bring things back on shore? Any tips? Well, it's it's a very interesting. Well, buy British. I think that's probably that's so right, the, yeah. the, big, the biggest thing. Buy British in all shapes and form. Yeah, because um, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. If you if you look at the the production of um, let, let's talk about a car, all right? You might think about a car manufacturer, but all of the supply chain that supports that manufacturer, that actual car, it, it's huge. It's very, very long. Um, and a lot of those parts are actually sort of uh, manufactured potentially overseas. What we're now seeing is a lot of that's now coming onshore as well. Um, but it goes wider than that, you know, just in terms of, uh, we might be talking about industrial manufacturing, it's also process manufacturing, you know, food and beverage and all of that. Buy local, that will absolutely make a, make a huge difference as far as that's concerned. Kind of ties into all the sustainability side of things. All as well, of that, it? absolutely. Yeah. Good point. So if we talk about lessons for success then, what lessons for a successful career in the ERP sector can you give us? I think I touched on it earlier, you know, that that um, constantly stay stay curious. That, that's the biggest thing I would say. It, this is a, an industry that is changing so, so rapidly. You might th- think that, um, you know, you're working for an organization that's got the, got the solution. It is changing so rapidly. So keep curious. New technologies are coming along. Sometimes I think we put we put the, the uh, title of ERP and that constrains it. All right, it, it's wider than that. I'd, I'd much rather talk about business solutions uh, that use technology to to deliver key outcomes, and those outcomes can be very very wide ranging. If you look at manufacturing, um, obviously there are core manufacturing solutions that underpin. Um, but you also have the supply chain challenges. All of this can be driven, driven and, and um, supported by technology. You have data analytics. If you need to, if you need to really understand where a business is going, you need to analyze data from all of its different sources. And um, so that's driving different career types. You know, you now need data scientists. You now need to have 
um, degrees that are actually coming at it from a different perspective. So we need to be working very closely with with academia to ensure that they are actually developing the skills and develop, you know the courses are supporting what industry actually requires, and it's yes. not sort of really good point five yeah. six ten years out of date. All right, so it's um, it's incumbent upon just stay curious and and keep pushing the boundaries. I would absolutely recommend uh, never never settle for mediocre. All right, always always look to sort of push the boundaries of what you're doing in both in life in in all aspects of, of life and keep having fun <laughs> absolutely number one thing i know you're a mental health advocate um so i'd really like to discuss a little bit around that um before we finish if possible so i think we've all experienced some level of mental health impact um I guess over the pandemic and just generally in the workplace, I yeah. have being a woman has particularly impacted that at times. Um, how did you become an advocate for for mental health sort of well being? Yeah, I I think I mentioned that I reached a uh, I had a, a point in my life when my marriage broke down and I I was unhappy with the the role that I was doing. It just felt that I'd, I'd reached a particularly low point in my life, all right? And um, to the extent that I was actually hospitalized at that point in time, it, it was that low, all right? Really, really bad. And the only way I got through that was by being kind to myself, all right, to start off with. I had to, there were lessons that I, that I, I needed to learn. And when I sat back and looked at what's, what the issues that I was experiencing, I could actually categorize them. There were things that I was worried about that had already happened. And you you constantly beat yourself up because of whatever. And you think, okay, those things have happened. Let's draw a line. They've happened. There were things that I were worried about in the future that hadn't happened. So forget about them because they haven't happened. And when you do that and you then suddenly focus on the here and the now, and these are the things that you can actually um, do something about. They're within your control. So that enabled me to then sort of start to recover and I recovered myself. And from there, I know what my trigger trigger points are. All right. I know that I had a great support network around me as well at that point in time. I'm talking this is a long time ago and everything else there, but it stood me in great stead right the way through. Um, but I also realized the importance of actually talking about it and being able to freely talk about it. And I don't think we we do enough of that. And I think women find it easier to talk about mental health in all cases because we 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 have natural sort of female networks and we talk these things through and everything else. Okay. I think actually it's more of a problem for, for men. Mm-hmm. So so I am very happy to talk about it. I'm very happy to to stand up and uh, talk, not just talk about my experience, but I'm actually, from an info point of view, I'm the global executive sponsor for the uh, Info People Wellbeing, where mental wellbeing is a key part of this as well. Um, and I, I I talk to people, I talk about their experiences, you know, different people have different ways of handling. But I want to break down the stigma around these things. It's okay to not be okay, all right? And sometimes if, you know, if you if people... I've got a broken leg, you can sympathize, but sometimes 
people can put a brave face on, but you don't know what they're experiencing in the background. And I think if we are just a lot kinder to people, all right, yeah. and, and more supportive and understanding, I think this will be a far better world that we're all living in as well. Absolutely. That's the why I'm very passionate about this. Yeah, I think it's fantastic that you're actually a leader uh, in this field as well to, and to ha- have had those experience and be where you are. You know, it shows that no matter how low we all feel at, at certain times, you can, you can still go. Exactly. Whatever exactly. distance you want to go to, you know, you don't need to be held back because of. Yeah, it's kind of the definition of a fantastic role model. And when, like in terms of, you know, you, like you say, you've been you've been there and actually look what you can achieve once you kind of are, are, are kind to yourself and actually believe in yourself. Absolutely. And believe in yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Be brave. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Anwin. We will uh, let you go now. It's been it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Bye.